Great, thank you, Karen. Um, now is your opportunity. If you have kids of primary school or preschool age, we've got ministry available for them. So if you, if that, you fall into that category, just follow the follow the crowd. Turn myself down a bit. That's better. Hello, hello. While the kids go out, I just want to draw your attention to something before we crack on with, with today's message. Um, we have a whole bunch of these scripture journals available for you if you want one um, to accompany the teaching series that we're going through. We only just started last week. They're a bit late to turn up. Apparently, everybody in the world is teaching on James in January, so it's a bit of a backlog. Anyway, um, we've got these available. They, are, um, they have the Bible verses and things through the whole book of James on one side of the page. And on the other side of the page is lined. And the idea is that you can, you can have this with you through our whole series, and either on Sunday mornings as we, as we go through the teaching, or um, at home when you're you know, reflecting on the, on the Bible, or in our foundation communities when we get together in each other's homes and talk about the Bible, um, you can have this with you too. So um, I'm going to give you a 30 seconds or a minute. If you want to get one of these, you're welcome. There is a cost. They do cost five pounds each. Um, but I don't want that to stop you from using one today. So please do go up and grab one. Um, either pay us later, or you know, don't pay us at all. It's a gift to you. But you know, five cost the church five pound each. So there you go. So you got thirty seconds. You want to grab a few each, just in case anyone else. Thank you. Anyone else want one while we're here? You can if you want. It's okay. They're there at the back if you do want them. Great. And some at the front. Thank you so much. We are. Um, going to have a look at those Bible verses together. Uh, James 1, as I said a few moments ago, this is the second um, message in our series, it's a bit wobbly, uh, through the book of James, and it's called Real Religion. Uh, and the, the reason why I've called the series Real Religion um, is because there is a certain type of religion that's very popular in our churches, not just here in Northern Ireland, but in, in general in the West, uh, um, the, the, the cultural West, I suppose, West, Western Europe, um, very popular kind of religion that looks a bit like Christianity. Uh, it sounds a bit like Christianity. People speak Christian words, and they actually go to Christian church, and they do Christian things. But according to James, and we'll see this time and again throughout this book, um, it's not Christianity. It's not real religion. It's a, it's a fake, counterfeit religion. And so James, uh, who wrote this book or this letter here, uh, has written to the churches that existed at that time, just about 20 years after the life of Jesus. And he's written to them to say, look, um, friends, there are, there are two types of religion in your churches. There's a fake form and a real form. And, and so he's writing that to the churches, but he's through them writing it to us to say, you might have started to follow the wrong kind of religion. Uh, you may have trusted in the, the fake religion and not the real stuff. And so he, he, he offers a number of tests to help us see, as a church, are we following the real religion of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and what he said and he's done, and what his apostles taught, and how that you know, start, starts within our hearts as we understand that and believe it, and how it changes us from the inside out. That's real religion, according to James, and that's devastatingly radical, and is wonderful, is glorious, is beautiful. And there's this other kind which kind of mimics it and looks like it, but it doesn't lead to life, it doesn't lead to uh, hope, it doesn't lead to peace in your life. And that's the fake stuff. And so we saw last, last week, James takes the subject of trials, stresses, you know, trials in your life, hardships, whatever you want to call it. And, and how you respond to those will help you work out whether you are following the real religion of Jesus and the, the apostles or the fake form. 
And so you can go back on our podcast if you want on the, on the internet, um, on our website, sorry, or Spotify or whatever, and listen to that again if you wish. Today, he does the same thing again, and he takes a, uh, another test. How do you respond? Uh, and again, your response can, can tell us whether you follow the real religion or the, or the fake religion. And what is that test? The test is this. How do you respond to the word of God? How do you respond to the word of God? And how you respond, as I say, will fall into one of those two categories if you're sat within a church. Uh, for the purposes of this talk, we're not uh, so interested in, 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 in people outside who don't have a faith or don't have a religion, because that's obvious and clear uh, in, in some respects. This is to work out uh, those of us who are sat in church, okay? So uh, let's just say this. We're going we're to think of these um, texts under the following three headings. First of all, real religion uh, means a deep commitment to the word. Secondly, we're going we're to learn that real religion means a deep commitment to deeds, good works. And thirdly and finally, we're going to see how the gospel of Jesus keeps us truly balanced between the two. Okay? So first of all, real religion means deep commitment to the word of God. This is the test. How do you respond to the word of God? Because that will show you a lot about yourself and the kind of church you attend. Look down at verse 18. We've got a few extra verses from last week uh, just to bring us in and, and uh, help us to land uh, well, um, get the context. It says there in verse 18, uh, hopefully you can see that on your sheet, of his own will, that is God, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of all creation, or of all, cre all his creatures. He brought us forth. This is talking about God giving birth to his children, effectively. He brought us forth by his choice. Uh, he chose to, 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 to do that, um, and he brought them forth. He gave them life. Uh, another, another term that we've come to, to use in the church is conversion, uh, giving someone new birth, giving them a glorious hope, uh, giving them faith and repentance to turn to Jesus. God has chosen to do that. And, and, and that's how uh, someone becomes a Christian, by, by turning to Jesus, uh, by being you know, given new life by God. And then he says in verse 19, uh, this is how, therefore, if you've been given this new life, this new birth from God, this is how you will respond to God's word. This is the, the attitude of real religion. He says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, uh, he's spoken to all the church, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay? So if you are following the real religion, uh, you will be, according to this, quick to hear the word of God quick to hear the word of God. That is, uh, you will have a stance of readiness, uh, you, you, promptness. When God speaks to your heart and to your mind, you're going to be attuned, you're going to be ready, you're going to be listening to what he, he says, uh, poised and expectant to, to hear from him. Quick to hear. If you follow the real religion, secondly, he goes on to show here, um, you will be slow to speak. Quick to hear, by contrast, slow to speak. You'll keep your mouth shut. You allow God's word to, to resonate, to, to percolate uh, in your mind and in your heart. You allow God's word to, to, um, to do its work. You'll be quick to hear, slow to speak. And you'll be prevented from, from or you'll prevent yourself from rushing in with your own opinions, your own judgments, your own responses. Quick to hear slow to speak. That's what happens. That's what you will look like when you hear God's word and you follow real religion, right? And of course, that has for us um, as a church and you, you as individuals, practical implications. 
about how you listen to God's word and, and how you hear God's word. Uh, we say here at Foundation Church, we are a gospel-centered church, centered around the good news of Jesus and who he is and, and what he's done for us. And we, we get that from the Bible, from the Word of God. We don't get that from anywhere else. Primarily, it comes from the Bible. And so therefore, for us as a church, Sunday gathering around God's Word, having Him speak to us through the Bible, praying with open ears, worshiping with open ears, God speaking to us as we gather together, that is of central importance in all the things that we do week to week here at Foundation Church. It's not the only thing we do. Uh, we meet in each other's houses. We do um, you know, projects and ministry and all that sort of stuff. But Sunday gathering is important because this is where God um, has promised to speak, to, to instruct. Um, and so obviously it has a practical implication then for us as a church and for you as people. Uh, prioritizing, I hope, prioritizing the gathering on Sunday so you can hear God speak. If it's as important as what the Bible tells us, if you follow the real religion, then you'll prioritize listening to God's word. You'll be quick to hear. Of course, God doesn't just speak to us as we gather on, on a Sunday. However, um, he, get, he speaks to you uh, in, in multiple ways. One of the chief ways he gives us, the gifts he gives us, is through the, the scriptures. Um, so again, you know, it's not just uh, prioritizing the Sunday gathering to hear God's word read and explained um, but the, the rhythms throughout the week as well, the daily rhythms, the, the disciplines, if you like. Uh, we don't all often like the talk of, of discipline or, or doing stuff to earn God's pleasure. That's not what we're doing. Um, but rather like, uh, I guess, going to the gym and getting in shape. It requires hard work and it requires effort. But uh, what you're aiming to achieve, whether it's fitness or you know, strength or whatever, it's worth the hard graft and the labor. Likewise, if you're, if you're learning to become a, a musician or some other skill, it takes hours and hours of practice, scales up and down, exercises. But you don't just become a, a concert pianist without going through the disciplines that you need. And apply that to any realm or any sphere. You need practice. And so that's, what, that's why uh, we, we like to read uh, Scripture regularly together uh, and uh, hopefully... Um, uh, a daily rhythm of reading scripture as well. But as I say, this has implications uh, for all of us. So quick to hear, slow to speak. Are you getting yourself in a place where you can hear God speak to you? Are you getting yourself in a place? Thirdly and finally, he says there in this little section, he says, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Isn't that interesting? Slow to anger. This isn't, by the way, just a teaching about anger in general. Um, that, that is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. This isn't absolutely true. Um, anger is, uh, most anger is bad. Um, but here, it's anger in the context of hearing God's word. Uh, why would somebody be angry when they hear God's word or hear, hear the Bible or hear teaching from the Bible or whatever? Um, well, uh, they will be angry because God's word itself, at times, is, is offensive. It's not what you and I want to hear all the time. Yes, it gives comfort. Yes, uh, God grants him peace through it. Yes, God communicates himself through it, absolutely. But there are parts of God's word that is offensive to our, our hearts, to our lives. It is sharp. It cuts through our bluster. It reveals our sin. It challenges us to the core about how we're living and who we're living for. And it forces us to accept or at least think of the Bible's diagnosis of ourselves, our desperate situation, 
aside from his grace in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. It's a famous verse from Hebrews 4. It says, The word of God is living and active. You've probably heard this one before. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No one is hidden from its sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is offensive at times. And we run from it. And James says, if you really understand God's word, you really understand real religion, then you will be slow to anger. Doesn't mean to say you're not going to find things to struggle with and wrestle with and difficulties in God's word. All of us have that. All of us have that. After the first um, preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts, uh, Peter gets up and, and gives this amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost. And it says this, when they heard the gospel, they, that is the audience, were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. That's, that's what it does. That's what it does when you take God's word seriously from time to time. And uh, you know what? If it's not challenging you, sometimes if God's word is not challenging you, if it's not having this effect on you, then quite frankly, you're not listening to what God is saying. Um, have you heard of the, the, old, the old movie called The Stepford Wives? Uh, as, uh, uh, I know they remade it recently, or maybe 15 years ago or something like that, but uh, it's a group of men in, in suburbia, in some, some uh, little, little suburban town in, in the States, and uh, they figured out a way uh, of, of making robots instead of, uh, instead of wives, and their, and their robot wives would, you know, on their surface be absolutely gorgeous. They would do absolutely everything they're told. they go and mow the lawn, you know, everything. You know, the man's dream, that's what they thought. But the problem was that they're just robots and they, they did all they were told to do, but they never, um, never doubted, never questioned, never spoke back. And sometimes for, for, for us, that's how we want God to be, isn't it? Just sort of programmed to do what we want, but never speak back, never question anything. But I suppose we could say that if your God never questions anything in your life or never pushes back on anything, then what sort of God are you following? Because it's certainly not the God of the Bible. He will push back. He will show you areas of your life that are not right, that are not good. He will push back because he loves you. The follower of fake religion We'll just get angry and resentful at God's word, the clear teaching of Scripture. The, the, the person who follows fake religion will, will seek to block their ears and, 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 uh, and stop listening to or cut out the hard bits of the Bible. But James says clearly here, your, that anger, that aggression towards God and what he's saying in the word will not produce righteousness in you. You know, it will not produce the righteousness of God. What he's saying is it will not produce within you humility. It will not produce within you virtue. You will not live a, a life of, of justice flowing from God's word. You, you will not develop a life of integrity. That's what he's saying here. And yet those who follow the real religion, according to James in verse 21, they'll put away what he calls their filthiness and rampant wickedness. Anything that God uh, you know, doesn't like, anything that's not um, you know, part of his plan for your life, they'll put that stuff away. Instead, he says, they will receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Take it in. They'll receive it with meekness, with humility. Taking it in, allowing it to take root, and then letting it take hold and develop 
from within. That's what the follower of real religion will do. And so my question to you before we move on is, how, how ready are you? How open are you uh, to receiving and hearing God's word as James describes in this frankly brutal few verses? I did say to you last week that uh, every sermon is a bit like a sledgehammer when it comes to preaching James, and, and here we get it. How open are you to hearing God's word? Maybe you need to be born of the word of truth, like he says in verse 18, you need to be born again. Maybe you don't have that life-giving faith that, that, that James talks about here. And if that's not you, not you and you don't have that life-giving faith, then you need to turn to Jesus and, and put your faith and trust in him. That's what we see all through uh, the call to faith in Jesus. Maybe you do have faith in Jesus, and yet... Uh, your openness and your, your reception of God's word isn't what it should be, isn't what you'd like it to be. Maybe you're distracted by many things, just too busy in life to stop and spend time and listen to God. What is God calling you to do right now as we look at these verses? Real religion means a deep commitment to the word. That's what we're going to say on that because um, certain churches are quite good at that part. You know, uh, commitment to the word, commitment to the Bible, preaching the truth. And that's great, and we absolutely love that. That's, that's wonderful. But, but James says that on its own is not enough because, point two, real religion means deep commitment to deeds. Okay, this is where it turns. Look down at verse 22. This is how you know if you've really heard God's word, right? This is how you know. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Doers of the word, not hearers only. So James is saying here, yes to the word of God. Yes and amen. Listen to it. Give yourselves to being attentive. Allow God to speak to you and address you in any way he wants. Absolutely. Yes. But James says that alone is not enough. Do not stop there. Don't be a hearer of the word of God only. And here is a, a really stunning proof as to whether you're following real religion or the fake form, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Here's how you can tell if someone has responded to God's word or not. It's by looking at their deeds, looking at what they do with their lives. Is there fruit? Is there effect? Is there evidence? Or is there nothing at all? Just like a tree with no fruit, and no growth and no new leaves, you just conclude that that tree is dead, that its roots are poisoned or it just never took off in the first place. So too with one another. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a, a doer. But don't be a hearer only, deceiving yourself. You see, James is saying it's, it's a lie to think that you can be a true believer in Jesus and just be a hearer of his word and not do anything with it. He presents to us, James, in, in, in verses 23 to 24, this kind of ridiculous image um, you know, of, of someone who goes to the mirror and looks intently at their face, you know, stares intently, uh, deeply. Uh, in, in the original languages, it gives us this idea of, of staring for a prolonged period of time at someone's face, you know, one's face in the mirror, studying everything, the bits you like and the bits you don't like, the color of the eye, the little uh, uh, wrinkles or freckles or mole or whatever, the shape of the mouth, staring intently, memorizing absolutely everything, and then walking away 
and immediately forgetting what you looked like, as if you couldn't go and then describe to someone sat there, um, you know, with one of those police e-fit things. You couldn't describe what you yourself looked like, having just spent three hours looking at yourself in the mirror. This is what happens when someone, he says, looks at the Word of God, listens to the Word of God, and then walks away and doesn't do anything with it. Hasn't made any difference. There's no change. No, no, no deep impact. That's the fake religion. Whereas, he says, those who follow the real religion of Jesus and the apostles, uh, who look at the perfect law, um, that is, God's word is in, in its entirety and for our purposes today. It's the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, what Jesus said and da- did, and then what his apostles taught and, and applied. Uh, you look into that. That's what you do when you follow the real religion. Verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed. Fruit. Growth. That's what will happen to the person who not just hears the word, but does it. And and the reason why, folks, I'm laboring this this morning, not only because James does, but but it's so important for us here in Foundation Church, uh, and if you're visiting from other churches, it's so important for us to hear, um, is that particularly in our province, Let's, let's, let's just face it, there is a lot of people Sunday after Sunday who go and, and hear good, good Bible teaching and, and go and sit under preaching, as they would say, and, and they accumulate week upon week, Sunday after Sunday, year upon year, a lifetime of knowledge and Bible teaching and, and, and you know, Scripture preaching and all of that stuff. And James says, if that's all it is, then they are just like a person who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like. After Sunday, we just shut up our books and our Bibles, and there's no change. We can forget it all. In other words, we would say, um, it's in one ear and out the other ear. This happens in so many churches around our province, in our city, and perhaps it's one of the reasons why those from outside the church look at Christians, or those who call themselves Christians, and they see a bunch of what they would say hypocrites people who are so holy and they are listening to all this stuff and yet their lives are just the same as the rest of us. Is it possibly because we've been hearers of the word not doers of the word? Is that what the outside world sees when they look at us and when they look at you? Why are people like this, do you think? Why, why are people content to follow fake religion as James would have it? Why does he labor so hard in this passage and and throughout the whole book and to point out the difference between real religion and fake religion? Because, let's face it, it's easy, fairly easy, to appear religious and and sound Christian. It's easier, isn't it? Uh, One of the reasons why he points it out is because it's easy to sit in here and listen and consume and then go home. It's easier to do that. It's much more difficult to actually put what you're hearing into action. And I'm speaking to myself as well. I've sat under loads of Bible teaching uh, and preaching, and I've been brought up in the church and all that. Uh, heard loads. But it's easy to listen and do nothing. That's why James is so clear on this. It's easy to think that because you know the Bible, therefore you're good with God. It's easy to listen and nod in general agreement. It's easy to enjoy a moving sermon and indeed be moved by a sermon or Bible teaching. But according to James, the reason why he's trying to be so clear about this is that if we do nothing with what we're hearing, then we are following a false religion. 
Because to sit and passively listen requires nothing of you. Folks, can you see how subtle this fake religion is? How pervasive it is in our churches? But can you see how dangerous it is as well? Because it doesn't produce, as he says, the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce life and peace and joy in you. In fact, he says it's worthless in verse 26. There's a great illustration from an uh, American pastor called Francis Chan. Uh, he said this many years ago. He said, think of it like this. Uh, if you tell your child to go and tidy his or her room, and uh, what, you, what you want from your, your kid is, is a response. You want to see that room tidied, or at least an effort in that direction, don't you? After half an hour or so, you want to go in and see something has been done uh, to make it look like your child has understood what you've asked them to do and has had a crack at cleaning their bedroom. You want obedience and you want uh, you know, someone to listen and just go ahead and do it. Um, but imagine then that child turns around to the parent and says, well, dad or mom, um, I have memorized your command to me. I've memorized it. Um, I've exegeted it. I've gone back to the books. In fact, I've actually learned it in the original Greek. Um, and you know what? Just to top it off, I've made a lovely wall hanging of your command to me that I'm going to put in our kitchen. Do you think mom or dad will be happy with that response? Of course not. Was that what mom or dad was intending? Absolutely not. But as Chan says, this is what happens when we are hearers of the word and not doers. We can spend so much energy hearing and thinking we're hearing and yet not doing what God tells us. There's a couple of verses, just in case you think this is the only part in the Bible that says things like this. Afraid to say it's not. Look with me here at Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Isn't that a scary thought? This is Jesus, the one who does the will of my Father. And he doesn't just say it once. Here it is again. Everyone who hears the, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And if you've been to a Sunday school as a kid, you know how that story ends. One more, just in case you think I'm making this up. Revelation 20, verse 12. Right? This is the last day, the great judgment day. Uh, the apostle John saw this in a vision. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the thrones, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they believed. No, it says according to what they had done, and everyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There you go, there's a cheery thought, isn't there? Didn't put that one on the PowerPoint. That's how it ends, folks. Um, sorry. But the point here, whether it's Jesus or James or the apostle or John, is that we cannot just simply passively agree with what God is saying. We have to be doers of the word because it won't end well if you follow the fake religion. Just before we uh, conclude and tie things off on the final point, James gives us three tests. I'm just going to run through them very quickly from the text. Three tests to help us see whether uh, you are following the real religion or the fake religion of the Bible. Uh, so the, the real religion of the Bible. First, he says, look, if you are doing God's word, 
Number one, are you controlling your tongue in verse 26? If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, that is, keep it under, under rein and deceive his heart, that person's worth, uh, religion is worthless. Are you controlling your tongue? Do you have mastery over your tongue, what you say, how you use it, your speech? Do you speak with truth and honor and love? Are you slow to anger? Or is your tongue characterized by lashing out? Are you chronically angry? Are you aggressive? Are you manipulative? What way, in general, do you go? And in our church, is our speech reflective of a culture of strengthening and building one another up? Or is it reflective of a culture of criticism and breaking one another down? I think it's the first one. I think we're building each other up. Thank God. But what about you? How's your tongue? First test. Second test, he says, if you're following the real religion, how are you in your response to orphans and widows? Verse 27a, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. A widow has no husband. An orphan has no father. And yet they are vulnerable in that original culture. They are vulnerable in today's culture, subject to oppression, uh, most easily denied justice, most easily abused. And James says to his listeners, and he says to us, are you reflecting the father's heart? Are you reflecting the husband's heart? To those who have no father, to those who have no husband, are you going to love? Are you going to serve? Are you going to care? Are you going to be a, uh, a, a church that, that goes after justice? Are you going to represent God towards the marginalized and the afflicted? And uh, Rachel was praying um, about one of the missions, uh, organizations that we partner with, International Justice Mission. It's the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. Um, and so we, we, that's one of the ways we as a church try and put this verse into action. If you want any more information, by the way, um, there's a couple of sheets at the back on the table there about International Justice Mission and what do they do and how do they operate. Um, you heard a bit in the prayers, but um, there's an opportunity to grab some information, sign up, get, get, get tooled up. Uh, but it's not just that. As a church, we try and uh, we support a local food bank um, to help those who are on low income, struggling. And uh, we've also, you know, I'm just trying to think of ways that we can uh, help and, and partner with and encourage local schools as well in our, in our area. So there are just a few ways that we as a church are trying to seek to, to live out uh, verse 27a. But how are you doing it? How are you, how's your heart on that? Thirdly and finally, the test there, he says, is keeping yourself unstained from the world. Unstained from the world. We're going to address this in a few weeks in James chapter 4, so we're not going to linger on this. But the bottom line is this. If you follow the real religion, you will look radically different to everyone else who does not follow the real religion. You will keep yourself unstained. The values, the beliefs, the agendas of the world will be very, very different to the ones that you have. Okay? So, real religion... What are the three points? Lost them. Means deep commitment to the word. Means a deep commitment to deed. And finally, tying things off, going to see how the gospel helps us keep truly balanced. How do we be hearers of the word with hunger and desire and passion? And how do we be doers of the word with hunger, desire and passion? Because James is saying we have to do both. All right? Not half in half, like 50% this and 50% that, mediocre on both counts. We have to be hearers and doers, 100% of both. How do we do it? Because it's easy, isn't it, to become unbalanced, to, 
to totter on one direction or the other. Churches in general can do that, a culture that leans towards the word and teaching, which is great, or lean towards the actions and the social outreach, which is great, but don't have so much of the word. But what James is saying is we have to be both. We have to do both, and that's what we're going to labor to do here at Foundation Church. And we have to understand, though, that the gospel here keeps us truly balanced. It sets us free from having to be forced to choose between one or the other. How does it do that? Because at the heart of the gospel is, is Jesus Christ. Come to earth, the Son of God, come to earth. He was a teacher. He gave the word. He instructed. He said to his apostles, go and teach everybody. Make disciples and teach them all I've commanded you to do. Time and again, Jesus in the, in the gospels was teaching vast crowds. They were amazed at his teaching. He had authority in his teaching. He often said, you've heard it said to you in the past, but I say to you, Jesus speaks with the authority of God. He taught. See, at the center of the gospel, there is word. He was the word made flesh after all. But, of course, at the center of the Christian gospel is also a deed. Right? The work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, on the cross, his whole life, really, but on the cross culminated his work on the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus was practically silent. He just spoke, mumbled a few words at various times during his immense suffering. Teaching was over. Words failed him, effectively. But now, crucified, now was the time to do the work that he had been called for, to die in our place. And see, Jesus was fully word, and he was fully deed, and he did it to the greatest of his ability, with every fiber of his being. He didn't scrimp, he didn't hold back, he didn't hide or minimize one or the other. His teaching got into trouble, and yet he never held back from, from teaching truth. He never shied away. That's, in fact, one of the reasons for his death, humanly speaking. But yet his deed, his work, uh, saved us as well, completely. When he gave himself in our place, taking our sins upon himself and, and being separated from his Father in ways that you and I will never do if we come to Christ in faith. Jesus is word and deed. His word explained his deed. If there was no word, then it would just be a man dying on a cross some time ago, but we wouldn't understand a thing about it. If it was just deed, then he would be a moral teacher like all the other moral teachers out there, but utterly lacking any power at all to change our lives. It's because he died and rose again and conquered sin and death and the devil. That's how he has power. That's why his, his words have teaching, have bite, have authority. Jesus' is word and he is deed. Can you see, folks, how the gospel, therefore, at the heart of the gospel, keeps us from this unbalanced approach to religion? Can you see how the gospel protects us from the error of either having to choose between being really fascinated with the word or really motivated for the deeds? It's both and. If you understand what James is saying, if you understand what Jesus has done, it's both and. And as a church here, we deeply desire to be excellent at hearing the word of God and to be excellent in doing the deeds that he calls us to. We are a community on mission. We say this time and again. What is our mission? Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that through word, and we do that through deed. That's how we're a community on mission. We are deeply committed to both word and deed. And look, folks, we may be small in number, but that doesn't mean to say that we wait until we're 100 or 200 before we start doing deeds and before then we're just about the word because it's cheaper. No, no, no. We sacrifice. We give. We buy in. We give time. We give money. 
because we are committed to doing deeds now. In fact, we've started doing this from the very get-go at Foundation Church. It's been part of our DNA, you could say, doing deeds, anything we can do. Yes, it's not as big or as flashy or as impressive um, as, as, as you might hear elsewhere. We do what we can with what we have to the glory of God. But we want to be a church, no matter what size we are, deeply committed to hearing God's voice and doing God's will. Radically committed, hearers and doers. Because let's face it, we need that as a church to show to each other. And we need to show the outside world who's just got sick and tired of religion and hypocrisy. and They need to see what real religion looks like. And if it starts here with us, with us in this room, then let's do it. Let's do it. Let's follow God with all we have. Let's pray. Father God, you say that your word is like a double-edged sword. It is beautiful. It is comforting. It, it gives us peace. It tells us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we love it, and we thank you for that. But yet, at the same time, that second edge is it's piercing. It's cutting. It is painful at times as we listen and as we allow you to work, Father. But we trust you. You're our heavenly Father. You're the great husband. Lord, you're the one who, who gave your son, your only son. When we look at him, we realize how much you love us. And so, Father God, as a church, may we receive and listen to your word completely, diligently. Lord, giving ourselves in humility to hear your voice. And Lord, right now, if there are areas of our lives that, that are not pleasing to you, that are, that are clearly, or we know ourselves, are not, ever, not, not part of your will, not part of your plan for our lives, Father God, we ask forgiveness. We turn to Jesus for forgiveness, for grace. Because of him, we can be remade anew. But Father God, we want to be a church that is all about the deeds as well, showing, expressing the love of God in Jesus to the outside world. And so, Lord, with what we have, with every ounce of our being, may we serve you out of joy, not out of duty, out of joy for what Jesus has done. Father, give us wisdom to know individually and as families how we may serve you. Give us wisdom as a church to know how we may serve you and use our limited resources to extend your kingdom in the name of Jesus. Father, continue to teach us now as we respond through the bread and the wine and through worship, through the song. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.